You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And if you can find your place in your Bibles, we're in Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, if you would. Joshua chapter 5. As, um, as an adult, I, I'm just looking around and I'm guessing that <clears throat> most adults here tonight have all faced some times in our life where um, we were facing something new in life. It, it could have been a battle. Could have been a could have been one of the storms they just sang about. And um, we'd never been in one like that before. It, it might be a circumstance that, you know, we, we preach about it, we talk about it a lot, and when you preach the Bible, you're going to run into these kinds of examples over and over again. But you might have come upon a place in your life where I've not been here before, and it would, uh, would just really be encouraging to know that somebody's with me, somebody that's been there, somebody that has, um, you know, a little bit of authority, and uh, sometimes it carries a little more weight with you when you do that, and, uh, and, and it means so much. That's what's happened here tonight in Joshua chapter 5. Um, they've come out of Egypt, and yeah, they have seen the, the you know, at least Joshua and some of the others uh, have seen what God did back in Egypt, how God uh, demonstrated the ten plagues upon Egypt, and of course that last one where they finally pretty much just ejected uh, Israel or the Hebrews out of, out of Egypt and so forth. But really, I don't think anybody's ever seen what these guys are looking at as they've crossed, if you remember now, they've crossed over the Jordan River and they've seen the hand of God, not so much visibly the hand of God, but they've seen what the hand of God does, and that's how you know His hand is at work, because the Jordan River waters backed way upstream, and uh, they went across on dry ground. But that was amazing, but you get to the other side now, and you're looking up at these unbelievably huge, high, very thick walls, and there were two of them that wasn't just we, we sing about the wall of Jericho comes down, you know, the one wall. There were two that they had to actually get over. And for somebody to go on, what do they call it, a reconnaissance mission to go and <clears throat> check out a land and see what it's like, the guys that came back with their report had a, had a report that I'm guessing Joshua probably possibly stood there scratching his head for a bit, trying to figure out, now how are we going to handle this? This is one we've never come upon. And what are we supposed to do? And uh, so we get into chapter 5. You find Joshua in a place like this. I want to just uh, share with you a message tonight, um, and I've given a title to it, When God Encourages His Leaders. When God Encourages His Leaders. Chapter 5 and verse 1, if you'll follow along. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and... All the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over. 
that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land. Guys, notice what God does here in this verse. And they did eat of the old corn... Um, of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. Verse 12, look at it. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Verses 13, 14, and 15, some of the most powerful verses in the life of uh, the nation of Israel in their journey. Verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, well, they were in the territory of Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us? or for our adversaries. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy." And Joshua did so. Let's pray there. God, thank you again for allowing us to be back in the Word of God tonight. I'm just going to simply ask you again, Heavenly Father, will you give your blessing to the preaching of God's Word? Would you help me as I preach this tonight? Would you speak to our congregation through the power of the Holy Spirit? And I'm thanking you already for that in Jesus' name. Amen. When God encourages His leaders... So you take those first nine verses of this chapter, God commands, and you read it like I did, 
I don't know how many times I read the word circumcise in those first nine verses, but he commands Joshua to circumcise all the men who had not been circumcised since leaving Egypt. And this circumcision was a symbol, please get this, it was a symbol of separating them from the world, or if you could put it this way, from the Egypt that was still in their heart. It was a symbol of that, God separating them from the world that still works in men's hearts. And you need to understand that God is not about to give a a great victory at the high walls of Jericho, which we know that he did, but God's not about to give a, a great victory there at Jericho without their hearts being truly separated unto God. Whenever you hear the word separation in the Bible, most of the time, your flesh wants to hear the word separation. Like, yeah, we have to stop doing this. We never get to do that anymore. And God always separates this from us in our life. But really, separation is not as much about what you're separated from as what God wants you separated unto. And God wanted them separated unto him. He wanted in their hearts for them to be prepared and ready to have a walk with God and to not come walking out of there with still the thoughts of Egypt in their heart and living like the world and having that ungodly mindset and so forth. So God wanted to give them victory, but he wanted to have them to have a heart for him. Too many people want their Jerichos to come down, those great and high walls to come down, but they want to keep one foot in the world as well. God, I'd really like to have victory in my life, and I I feel really kind of weak in this area in my heart, and I, I seem to stumble and fall all the time in this area. And God, would you just give me a victory in my life. I really need to hear from you. And the whole time in your heart, you've got a a part of your heart that's still given over to the world. And God knows that. God wants his people separated unto him with a heart that's wholly given to the Lord. Also, earlier in the chapter, we're working our way down to where I want to get to tonight, um, we're told that the manna ceased. And the Bible said they ate of the old corn of the land. Now, I've got an idea. Now, when you hear the word corn, you understand it's not corn as we know it today. We're simply talking about the grain that was in the land. We're not talking about field corn or sweet corn like we would know it here today. But probably what has happened was when uh, all the men of Jericho, who no doubt had farmlands and so forth on the other side of the wall of Jericho, while they were farming their land, somebody come running up and said, the, the Jordan River is drying up, and this huge army, and they knew the Israelites were coming, or the Hebrews at that time, they're, they're coming across the river, and, and everybody run and hide behind the walls. And so they left all their crops, and they left, no doubt, all the storehouses that had all the grain, dried grains and so forth, uh, in them for storage. I mean, they just dropped tools, I have this idea, and everything, and just ran for their lives, got inside the walls of Jericho. And more than likely, leaving, um, and I'll call them Israel if you'll allow me to do that, lots of food to be able to eat from, uh, from the enemy's storehouse. And God said, now I'm going to cease the manna that I was given to you in a, in a miraculous way, and you're going to be able to feast from the land where you are now living. I I think it's a wonderful thing. When you guys, you know, you stop and you look in your life, I've I've often said uh, there are times in your life where you're walking along and God wants to enrich your life, spiritually speaking, and 
sometimes the gold that you want to dig for is just laying right on top of the ground. And God just kindly does that. We call those handfuls uh, of purpose that God just kind of drops along the way and, and just unexpected blessings. They, they just come so easily in our life. And, and we all say, God, that was so supernatural. And I, I love God how you did that. And that's what God had done all the way across the wilderness with the children of Israel. He had, he had, uh, they would wake up in the morning and angels' food would be all over the ground. And I know some people think that that means that the ground was covered with Snickers or whatever your favorite candy might be. But it was, you said, that's angels' food to me. Uh, man, I had a meeting this week, and I had to come and meet with somebody, and I knew it was going to be a big meeting. And, and, uh, and, I, and I could feel my sugars were a little low, and I, I didn't have time to stop and do the apple with peanut butter thing. I just had to stop and get a Snickers. I just had to. I was forced into that. Do you guys know how much a candy bar this big? Now, I used to pay 27 cents for. Do you know how much those Snickers are now? 150 pennies. $1.50. I couldn't believe that. And I said, I can't believe I'm doing this until I took the first bite. I can believe I'm doing this. I'm going to go back for another one of these, man. I love, I love Snickers. The reason I got a Snickers is because I didn't want to pay $2 for the salted nut roll that was in there. Manna. I got to get back there. Angel's food. All along the wilderness journey, God provided in a miraculous way just food that easily came down from heaven. And it's kind of like uh, the Christian life. I hope you'll get this. While we're on our journey trying to take those giant steps to get into the land of promise to where we now, you know, we, we are abiding in Christ and He abides in us. And it's not, it's not that young kindergarten walk that we used to have where God just supernaturally provides for us because we are just babes in Christ and the Lord just naturally drops things in front of us. But now, they are stepping on over into the promised land. And this is a place where Christians have to learn how to trust God for it now, where it's not there on the ground every morning. And now you've got to pray to God for it. And you've got to know that if God doesn't bless the land and if the crops don't grow, if the Lord's blessings aren't in it and my life is not with God like it ought to be, I'm not going to see the hand of God like I used to see it all the time. It's a walk of faith now. Unlike the gold that's scattered on the ground just on the top and the manna that you wake up to just every morning, now they're growing in the Lord and God does want to nurture the Christian along to where we're growing in Christ in greater ways and not just be the babes with the bottle uh, in our mouths all the time that so easily comes to us and so he removes the manna now. It's not there every morning. They trust God by faith each and every day for that now. But now we've worked our way down to a formidable foe. A terrible and a difficult city is now right in front of them. With I've told you, with these two huge walls protecting the enemy. And, and they are huge, and they can drive chariots around the top of it. It's, it's just the walls are thick, and it's unbelievable how they're going to have to somehow scheme and find a way to break through uh, to the enemy. And humanly speaking, it's impossible. This is one of those times, I, I have no doubt, preachers will sit around and we'll be talking about, you know, 
guys, I'll ask some preachers, hey, how are things going? And I'll hear one guy say, well, you won't believe what happened at our church. And I'm like, tell me, I want to, I want to hear it. And, and it always comes out with a story like, and all the guys are like, whoa, what'd you do about that? You usually hear something like this. They didn't teach us this in college. <laughs> and I've said that so many times myself. Man, they didn't teach this class in college. And I'm sure Joshua is standing there looking up at those walls, you know, figuratively flipping through the college books, like, what did we get taught to do here? How are we going to handle this? I mean, we get up to those walls and we're just sitting ducks on the outside. They can pour the oil over the walls, which was a common thing done in that day, that boiling oil to, you know, to, uh, to burn them and, and they could shoot at us from the walls. I know God said that this is our territory and that we're going to make it on a cross, but I got to be honest with you guys, I don't know how we're going to do this. This is, this is a new one for me. So I want to see how did God encourage his leader in life's most difficult of moments. We all have them. Uh, maybe tonight you've been picking up manna off the ground. Maybe life has been really good for you and it's been really easy and you just say, hey preacher, things are going really good for me and I, I'm really grateful for where I'm at in my life right now. Hey, I just want to tell you, praise God for you. That's a great place to be. I have an idea that there's enough of us in here tonight there's Jericho walls standing in front of you, and you don't have any idea how this is going to be overcome. God, how's this going to happen? I, I don't have it in the books. I've counseled with people, and we just kind of throw our hands up and don't really know what to do. How does God encourage his leaders, those who will take the step forward and go on beyond where you are, out of the land of manna, on into a promised land where you're greater and stronger and, and God's definitely going to use you in, in greater ways than he ever has before. But God, how do I get beyond where I'm at? It's an unbelievable place that I'm at in life. I love how God shows his leader what to do. First of all, how he encourages his leader. Number one, before entering into the battle, this sounds like such a simple little statement, but it is profound he showed them his presence before entering into the battle. You saw it like I did. Look in verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. Where was he, by the way? He was by what? Jericho. He was by the uh, formidable walls. You know, those walls that I'll never be able to scale. I, I don't have it in my war books in the war plans. I don't know what to do here. And so here it says, uh, while when Joshua was by that Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. Now let's drop down and uh, verse 14. And he said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? I think in Bible college, Mark is this an example of a theophany, of a, a visible manifestation of God? We, we call them theophanies. It's a, it's a God manifesting himself visibly to man. It's an unbelievable sight. And before, uh, before Joshua ever steps on over or walks over, climbs over the fallen walls of Jericho, God presents himself before him. And I'm sure, like I said, Joshua's been probably scheming with his men to determine, guys, 
you know, how are we going to scale these walls? You, you guys will have to go over here and, and distract them, and somehow we'll get some rope over the wall, or we'll get one of those uh, ladders that we kind of throw up against the wall. We'll try to climb up over here. I, I'm sure they were trying to scheme away how they might be able to get up, eventually get to them, and, and maybe we can draw them outside the walls somehow. Maybe we can lure them out, make them you know, look like we're the lame duck, and then they come rushing out after us, and then we turn around and attack them. I don't know. I'm sure he's probably been trying to come up with some kind of a plan, but all of them sounded very short of what they really thought was going to work. I, rem- I think he probably remembered the really fresh command that was rolling around in his mind from God. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Uh, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And I'm sure Joshua's standing there saying, uh, I'm not going to be afraid. Don't get dismayed at this, because uh, God's going to go with us. I know he's going to be there, but I still don't see how this is going to happen. But this city was unlike anything he'd ever seen before. His people had never seen anything like that either. And they were going to need to be able to maybe see some confidence in their leader before following him on into such a battle uh, to what some might have called a suicide mission. I just want to know my leader is confident in God. And have you ever seen somebody who's trying to look confident, but they're not confident? And they're trying to demonstrate, like, we can do this, guys. Just got that look in their eyes, like, don't be afraid. And they're trembling. I just don't think this is is the kind of leadership that they would be looking for if it was a leader like that. I don't know if Joshua was trembling, but I do believe he was scratching his head. We're going to do this, but I'm not quite sure how. So the Lord himself appeared to Joshua before this first and great battle. I mean, what that must have done for Joshua. You saw what he did when he figured out, you know, hey, hey, whose side are you? You for us or for them? He said, neither one, guys. I am the captain of the host of the Lord from heaven. And it hit him. Because he could tell there was something really different about this man. And it hit him. You know, that's what it is. And the Bible said he fell flat on his face to the ground. And once he figured out that uh, he was not going to fight against them, and, and nor was he necessarily a soldier uh, that was, you know, within their own army, but the God of heaven, I mean, it struck him in a tremendous way. Uh, he was captain of the armies of heaven. And I'm sure it was fear that was running through him at first. And then a reverential awe came into his heart. I mean, God was meeting with man. I don't know what that means to you. I, have, uh, I remember walking through a youth room back in Duncanville, Texas. I was the janitor of the church there, Calvary Baptist Church. Everybody else had left the church I was going through shutting out all the lights, and I walked down the hallway, and in the way back in the youth room, there was a little light on in there, and I was going to go in and shut the lights off, and then going out the back door there of the youth room, and I remember shutting the lights off, and I just kind of strolling toward the door, and it was like a, an ugly, dark presence, and, and, I, and I'm not talking about, oh, you're just, you're scaredy cat, you're afraid of the dark. Okay, I can be sometimes, but it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was a presence that I had, uh, hadn't felt like that, maybe ever, ugly. And I just remember how it just seemed to just 
surround me. And I just dropped down to my knees and just began to pray to God and trust the Lord. I said, God, you're with me. I want to trust you through this. And confidence and strength and grace uh, came over me and was able to get up and, and went on out. Uh, that, that, I've had that presence before. And um, I've also had the times where at this place where I've gotten to right now in my message, I remember jumping up from the chair. I wanted to go in back in and get a, a drink of water out of the, the back room. And as I stood up, um, I could sense another presence. It wasn't a dark and ugly presence. I could sense the presence of somebody else. I did not see anything, but I can tell you, God made me very aware that that same captain of the, the Lord of hosts of heaven was still with me. It was overwhelming. And all I could do was stand there in my office and just experience the presence of God and to thank him for the encouragement that he would give to me. You know, when you have, you know, those times in your prayer life where you feel like, you know, I've, I feel like I broke through the brazen ceiling and I, I feel like I'm in the presence of God as he told me to, to come boldly to the throne of grace. You ever had those moments where you just felt like God was right there with you? And I, I've used this expression, you could feel the brush of angels' wings, it seemed like, the closeness of the Lord. And it's like during those times you feel like, you know, guys will jump up and say, I, I'll just charge hell with a squirt gun. I, I feel like I'm so close to God and I, I've never felt like that. <laughs> But I have felt like the presence of God was with me. And I have to, in my own heart's imagination, understand that God was meeting with man. And Joshua, who had no idea how they were going to get over those walls, had no idea that he didn't have to climb those walls. He was just going to have to walk over them. Step over them like it was just extra high pavement and just walk on across that. Uh, He had no idea But what he did know at that moment was, before I get to the greatest battle I've ever faced to this point in my life, God is meeting with me. You know the name Joshua? You know what it means? Joshua means Savior. So small s Savior, Joshua, was meeting with capital S Savior, Jesus. And God was just saying, I just want you to know that I'm here with you. I want to show you my presence. And you know what? When I felt the presence of God with me before, I didn't need a set of plans. I didn't need to know every little detail how God was going to work things out in my life. I didn't need to know that anymore. Before that, I'm saying, God, how are we going to do this? You've got to show me how this is going to happen, and i got to know the plan of action, God. What, what do I do? And then listen, God shows up, and His presence is there, and He overwhelms me with His presence, and my need to feel like I have to have all these answers is gone because the answer is standing in front of me. And I, don't, I still don't always know how He's going to handle that, but I know God is with me. And before the greatest battle I ever face, as as long as I know that God is with me, everything's going to be okay. I'll head off into any battle that I feel like God is leading me to, as long as God is there with me. When David was fighting with the Philistines, there was a time, do you remember this? And David said, God, do we go out and, and fight them? And he says, yes, but listen to me, 
you guys line up over here in this one spot under the mulberry trees. And he said, now, you guys don't take off. I'm going to give you the victory, but don't take off until you hear, you remember this, a going in the top of the mulberry trees as if the feet of God was going out ahead of him, rustling the, the tops of the trees. And once God got out ahead of them, he's like, once you hear that going, you guys take off. Because then I'm out in front of you, and I'm heading out in the battle ahead of you, the tip of the spear. God was letting Joshua know, I'm going to be out in front of you, Joshua. I'm going to be leading the way. And what you don't know what to do and how to do, I'm going to show you. And I'm not here just for this battle at Jericho, but I'm going to be ahead of you with every battle that you face in this promised land. I mean, that's the God we still serve tonight. And I don't know what battles you face, and you don't even know all the battles you're going to face. But what I do know is, God has promised me that I will never leave thee, and I will never forsake thee. I'm so blessed tonight to know that in every battle I face in this life, and every difficulty that I have that I don't know how to handle, God will always show up and lead me through that. I don't have to face my battles alone, ever. The one who said, without me, ye can do nothing, will hardly leave us to work alone in battles commanded by him. I love that statement. And with my heart and soul tonight, I want us to know I believe that the captain of the Lord's host is with us tonight. We can rest in that. The captain of the Lord's host is with us tonight. And I don't know what you're facing, and I I don't know what it is that... I know you're here tonight and you put a smile on your face, but inside your heart you're you're, you're dying inside and you're bleeding and you've got all these fears and trembling. But just to know that the captain of the host is with us tonight and is going to walk with you all the way ought to give confidence like nothing else in this life. So number one, he showed himself before going into the battle. Number two, he showed them that even in enemy territory, you can call it holy ground. That if you're on a spot that we know is the enemy's territory, and while we're on the other side of the Jordan, we look across that great river, we know that's enemy territory. And we know that when we get over there, we're standing in enemy territory. And God said, I just want you to know, even in enemy territory, there can be holy ground. Look in verse 15. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot. For the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. You know, removing his shoes in the presence of the Lord is like a a symbol of removing anything that might stand between him and God. It was a physical way that Joshua could demonstrate just how much he understood the holiness of the place where he now stood. This place is unlike any other place because God is here. And any place... Where Jesus stands is holy ground. When Moses, remember when he was in a sheep pasture up on the side of a mountain? God showed up in a bush. And God told him right there at the burning bush, what did he tell him to do? Take your shoes off, Moses, because you're in holy ground. Why? Because God was there. Three Hebrew men were thrown into a furnace in the enemy territory of Babylon And in that furnace, it became holy ground because a fourth man showed up. A lion's den became holy ground when God showed up in the lion's den. 
Listen, we may be standing in enemy territory tonight, but we can still walk on holy ground because God has promised us His presence. You say, preacher, if you just knew the kind of people I work beside, that's okay. When God is with us, when the captain of the host said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, you still walk on holy ground. It's the presence of God with us. We can just understand that. I don't have to just kind of give in to the ways of the world and just act like everybody else because the, everyone else around me is acting ungodly. Why not just give in? Because you stand on holy ground. It's a different place than the rest of the world is standing. Even in enemy territory, it can be holy ground. Thirdly tonight, the Lord showed Joshua how the battles were really going to be won. And again, look in verse 13 with me one more time. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him, get this, with a sword drawn in his hand. And you can just stop there with that. He saw God with his sword drawn. God did not show up with his sword in its sheath. This was a sword drawn and ready for battle. I mean, Joshua had his own sword and shield, and he was ready for battle, and I'm sure his men had, uh, you know, they're facing this battle. I'm sure they had sharpened their own swords, and I'm sure they got to the, you know, the tip of their spears and had them all sharpened up and were ready to go. All the men had no doubt been trained in this hand-to-hand combat and the use of the bows and the arrows and all those things, but God showed up, boy, don't miss this, guys, to remind Joshua that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. In other words, Joshua, take your sword with you and take your spear and your shield and all of that, and when you go out into the battle, do everything that you've been trained to do. But I just need you to understand, it's not going to be the sword of a man that wins this battle. It's going to be the sword of the captain of the Lord's host that's going to win this battle. Battle is not lost or won at the hands of man. The battle is the Lord's. And Jericho's walls did fall, not because man walked the proper number of times around the walls. Jericho's walls fell because the captain of the Lord's host keeps his sword drawn to fight for us. If God had not gone out for those men and been out in front of them all seven trips around Jericho's wall, if God had not been there with his sword drawn, every one of those men could have come out and wiped Israel out. But God has his sword drawn. I mean, little David looked up at Goliath. I love this verse. Can you see that little teenage boy looking Goliath square in the eyes? And he told him, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with with sword and spear, man's sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. And that big 10-foot giant looks at him and says, well, I guess we'll see who's right about that. And old Snaggletooth started coming after him and there was a God standing in front of little David with his sword drawn. And little David took a rock and put it in a sling and slung that. But I'm convinced with all my heart, it was the sword of God Almighty that was drawn and ready to fight the battle for his Christian that knocked that giant down and enabled a little teenage boy to take the head off of that giant. Some of us might be here tonight wondering how you're going to win an impossible battle some of you are thinking win a battle i just got to get through this day i don't know how i'm going to make it through this circumstance 
much less stand on the other side with my hands in the air saying, yay, I won. I really believe God wants us to know that that he stands here tonight with a sword drawn to fight for us, that the thing that you are facing is not alone, that you're not the one that goes out in the forefront, it's God going out with a drawn sword, and every enemy that would try to stand up in front of us, when they fall, it's because the, the God of heaven was with us. And while you and I cannot see the what we call theophanies, we cannot see a visible manifestation of God, We've been given the very word of God and the promise of God promises us that the God of heaven will go before us and will fight those battles for us. And if you'll develop that confidence and understand God wants to fight my battles, you can face anything in front of you tonight. God can and will give you the victory in a way that's pleasing to Him. When we need God the most, God wants us to know that He is in our presence to go with us and to fight our impossible wars. I'm going to ask if we could just bow our heads tonight, our heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you bow together with me as we're going to go to the Lord in prayer? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.